The year is 1996. Uh, no, that's not even. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we went back in time for a sec there. Yeah, that's not even especially close. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Okay. The year is 1999. I'm Dave. I'm Charlotte. And this is My Marvelous Year. The only podcast from Reading Club that will take you Marvel Comics Origins to today. We've covered 1962 to 1999. Now this is part three of our coverage of the Marvel Comics of 1999. All the essentials that you need to know about. Today we're going to be talking about two X-Men crossovers. You can find all the issues that we're reading and the reading orders in the show notes here. And you can also find them in the full spreadsheet if you back us at patreon.com slash year which is greatly appreciated. Thank you to those of you who do. I'm Dave. I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. I'm joined today by an individual. She likes to go to construction sites and ask strangers <laughs> if they would have killed baby Hitler. <laughs> Charlotte Fierro. How's it going, Charlotte? Hi. Yeah, I often go to, to construction sites and I ask people, what if I told you that one of your workers is secretly French? What would you do then? Huh? <laughs> and they're like, I what? I thought we were all all French. It's very, very confusing. Yep. Um but it, you know what though? You know what though? I really love that issue. <laughs> so I mean gonna... it's my favorite we read we read this time, I think. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about X-Men number eighty five. That is the prologue to the Magneto War. But first, but first we gotta talk about the hunt for Xavier. So the two crossovers today that cover nineteen ninety nine, we got the hunt for Xavier. And then we got the Magneto War. This is an era of X-Men comics that gets pretty crossover heavy, I think, in a lot of ways. Not that it hasn't been, but it's like it's like they're not even events so much as they are demands that you purchase both Uncanny X-Men and the X-Men ongoing, <laughs> you know? Like, they're, they're generally, yeah. like, six-part story arcs, and they're just like, hey, this story's going to run through both of these titles you have to get both of them. Yeah, because um, only only having read those two like semi events from that time in X Men, it feels to me like wh why are there two X Men titles running at the same time if they're just one title actually? Right. It's very weird. Right. Yeah. No. And it's. I mean, I, I, the thing be between the split with Uncanny X Men and X Men, I guess in in some ways there's kind of always been that confusion about yeah. like, well, what is the lane? of each of these i've always kind of broken it out mentally and i don't know that it always plays this way but mentally i've always thought of it as like because x-men launches with jim lee and claremont but then it then it becomes kind of the jim lee wills Portasio show for a minute right until they leave for image i always mm -hmm. think of it as like a very super team focused book you know because that's the book where they split into blue and gold teams yeah at least there was that excuse yeah, exactly. And it was like, okay, like this is the this is the superhero team book, which was very much what Jim Lee was interested in early on, yeah. you know, with Wildstorm and some of that image stuff. And then with Uncanny X-Men, I always think of that as more of an extension of the Claremontian vision of like, you know, the soap opera of people hanging out at the mansion, of dealing with uh, you know, big picture sort of political mutant problems, these sorts of things. Um I don't think the books follow <laughs> that <laughs> that differentiation nearly as often nope. as I'm maybe giving them credit for. And definitely by this point, definitely by this point, like they're just telling one story, <laughs> yeah. but they're doing it together. Um, the other piece I want to say, the other like big picture piece of this is we're in pretty dire straits for X-Men comics right now. Like, like the good times have stopped rolling, you know, post onslaught. Um, not that Onslaught was the good times, yeah. <laughs> you know? Looking back at Onslaught and saying, oh, that, those were the good old days. That's, <laughs> that's quite exactly. a low bar. Exactly. Yeah. But, like, this is why, you know, I definitely look at Age of Apocalypse as, yeah. like, the last really good thing until 2001. And I think a lot of X-Men fans look at it. I mean, I think even Marvel 
kind of looks at it that way. Like when they were promoting House of X and Powers of Ten, the more recent reset for X-Men, you know, they were like, here are the arrows of X-Men. And it was Age of Apocalypse. And then they jumped ahead to the Grant Morrison vision for new X-Men in 2001. So we're in those gap years. And there's some stuff that I'm, I quite like in what we're going to talk about. But it is also, I think, very clear that it's like post-onslaught, there's not a clear direction. The X-Men are fading. And the popularity of the early 90s, I mean, they might still be incredibly popular or whatever, but it's like they just don't have the juice <laughs> yeah. that they used to have. This is why you don't hear about this era very often, I guess, is kind of what I'm getting at. Um, yeah, it's it's the first time in like everything we've read of X-Men so far when I felt like I actually was missing a, a huge bit, bit of context for like... Who are these characters? Since yeah. when? Who's Maro? When did she join? Who's Maggot? Who like a lot of characters and ideas that I missed out on by not being familiar with that uh, era of comics. Feels like this is the first time where like a lot of X Men stories aren't classics at all. Like they're ca- quite obscure. Yeah, and that's a that's a tricky piece with the continuity of it because like yeah, folks who were reading the books at the time, like if you stuck with X Men through this era. You'd know Joseph, and you know all about his, um, you know, okay, it seems like he's Magneto, but is he really, and he's younger, and he's calling himself Joseph, and he's not as vengeful, <laughs> you know? And then, yeah, you get new characters like Maggot, like Marrow, who are joining the X-Men squad. Marrow essentially has lots of bones. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> her deal. Uh, Charlotte, I just finished last night uh, Gideon the Ninth. Have you read this? No, I have this work. Okay, so Gideon the Ninth is a very, very high recommendation. It is about, uh, I guess, I feel like the the tagline for the book is like lesbian swordswoman in space fighting alongside her necromancer. Okay, um, I'm sold. Yeah, yeah, like I think that, like that should be enough. Uh, but yeah. it's so it's so much better than that even. Um, so I say that in part to say I read books that aren't comics sometimes, um, but also to say. Anything with bones now, all I can think about is Gideon the Ninth because her necromancer like controls bones ah. and stuff. Uh, so loose connection, mostly to brag about how I read a book. That's very good. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, but that's Mero's deal. And Maggot, um, Maggot is a character who like, if you're an X-Men reader who was reading these comics in the late 90s, you know, you probably kind of love Maggot. Yeah. You know, I feel I feel like there's a lot of fandom for this character who's kind of just gross. Like he just has like like he's strong, but he's also just kind of gross. Like he has like maggots that live inside of him and he calls them Eenie and Meenie. Um there's actually a really good <laughs> really good X-Men Unlimited, uh the the new Marvel Unlimited Infinite Scroll kind of webtoon copy comics that they're doing. There's a really good Ooh. X-Men Unlimited arc written by Alex Pachnadel. That focuses on maggots. First time I really okay. thought like, oh, this character actually maybe rules. Um, I don't think that here. But yes, you're right. Like there's things are moving on the X-Men side. We skipped Operation Zero Tolerance yeah. in the club. And I did that pointedly. Like I reread it and I know big, semi big stuff happens, but I didn't want to spend time reading it and ask people to do the same. It is not worth it. Um, the long and the short of it with post onslaught. Operation Zero Tolerance is, okay, after Onslaught, Professor X has, to the world's eye, killed all of its favorite heroes, right? Um, And mutants have caused tremendous devastation. So, like, it's a bad look for mutant kind. That kind of opens the doors for this Operation Zero Tolerance, which, as you can guess from the name, is basically like, we're not going to allow mutants to do anything anymore. The program winds up being run by Bastion. Uh, Bastion's, okay, yeah. yeah, Bastion's secret origin is that they're like an evolved Nimrod, essentially. Yeah, okay. So it's like they, they present as human, but they're basically like a walking advanced sentinel kind of thing. Um, they round up a whole bunch of mutants, as you'd expect. Uh, they capture Professor X. Professor X has lost his powers post-Onslaught, which is a part of the crossovers that we're going to read here. Um, but basically, after Onslaught, like Professor X has been imprisoned and captured and obviously the x-men prevent Operation Zero tolerance from like ending mutant kind but there's still a lot of movement and we see that in some of the news broadcasts in these issues um as far as like you know uh, politicians and and just kind of popular opinion being like hey mutants are dangerous 
we need to do something about them. And again, it is one of those things where it's like, well, when you actually look in the context of the Marvel Universe and what happened that's with Onslaught. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. that's always the case, but it's also like, well, with Onslaught specifically, it's like, yeah, that was a problem. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I mean, it feels like it's always the case. So for it to keep being like relevant, they have to like up it every time and have a bigger reason why that's going on and why people are particularly heated uh, against mutants. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they're they're playing off of the fallout of Onslaught still here three years later, yeah. you know, um, kind of as the primary catalyst and cause for that. And I think it kind of over... It's funny, you know, when you read these Marvel comics, it's like Onslaught is such a big deal in the continuity, you know, like because like Onslaught is I was going to say Secret Wars, but it's even bigger than that because Secret Wars is unknown to everybody who wasn't there. You know, it's a crisis on Infinite Earths for them. It it is, but it feels like because I've never read and like a post 2000s comic that and and I haven't read a lot of X-Men post 2000s, but I. It feels like Onslaught isn't as big a deal for the characters as it feels like it should be. Like, Onslaught is rarely referenced like, oh, this is the biggest threat that has uh, that the Avengers have faced right. in the same lines of, like, Loki or Ultron or Thanos. Like, it feels like Onslaught should be Thanos, and that's never the case. Right. Yeah, for sure. No, I think once... It's like once you get to probably, like, 2000, and Marvel Knights is in swing... And the Avengers have been reestablished. You know, you you kind of everyone just kind of moves on. I think collectively, yeah. and it's kind and, of a will to distance uh, themselves from uh, from what happened and Heroes Reborn in Return. Right, right. And I think the further away you get from it, as things kind of start to get better in the industry, you know, and the comics start selling a little better and things get healthier. People editorially, creators kind of recognize like, yeah, that story's not that good. <laughs> like we don't <laughs> we don't have to talk about it all the time, you know. Whereas, because it's not just X Men, like Buciak's Avengers, Buciak's Thunderbolts are very Wake of Onslaught comics. Yeah. You know, like that is the central happening in in the Marvel universe. Um, but yeah, I think the the more distance you get from it, the more people recognize like, hey, we can talk about that less. I think that's why. <laughs> The hunt for Xavier, I'm less into because it's very onslaught fallout. Whereas the Magneto War does feel like, well, this is just an X Men story that um, can be told. Although even that definitely has definitely has its lingering ramifications. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's let's look at this. So in the hunt for Xavier, uh, which is six issue crossover again, it just bounces back and forth between Uncanny X Men and X Men. Um, it starts with Uncanny X-Men 362 and X-Men number 82. The long and short of it is in the name, right? And it's an X-Men squad trying to find where is Professor Xavier, what has happened. Um, and the cl- biggest clue they're given in the first issue, which I actually think is one of the probably best of the bunch, is yeah. Pyro, longtime Brotherhood of Evil Mutants member, um, one of the leading Australian mutants, if not the leading Australian mutant, probably behind Hugh Jackman, but like otherwise, it's Pyro. <laughs> uh, he oh, is. Uh, what's the name of the the teleporting guy? Um, oof, I can never. The guy who teleported them around during the Australia era. Manifold. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, like his teacher. I can never remember. Oh. Oh. Um. Gateway. You think? Yeah. Gateway. Gateway. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Indigenous Australians. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. They they definitely play a role. Um. That's a good point, right? You have the whole Outback era Australia. I guess they're like temporary citizens of Australia, some of those teams. If you... Yeah. <laughs> really Technically, stressed. every X-Men is an Australian uh, starting <laughs> from that point. They all have Australian citizenship. Well, have you ever seen Pride of the X-Men, the uh, animated one-hour Yeah, pilot? I did see that like pilot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wolverine is super Australian. In oh, that. yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> like it's very funny. A thick Australian accent. Yeah. Uh, for reasons that have I, I flipping I don't know if I talked about this before I loved Pride of the X-Men I had that on VHS when I was young and I wore, yeah. I let that tape rock till it was hot like that wow. was oh my <laughs> goodness I was so into Pride of the X-Men um, still am I would say I, was, I would I'm not going to rewatch it ever but I'm still <laughs> a huge yeah, fan you still are a fan because you haven't rewatched it exactly. in 20 years exactly um, so, so Pyro's on the loose he's setting massive fires everywhere and uh, I think one of the more interesting or definitely continuity-relevant things going on with Pyro is he has the legacy virus, 
Um, this is something that we've sort of bounced around talking about, but it's always very much in the background of X-Men comics of this era, really everything since Executioner's Song. Yeah. Um, you know, the legacy virus is a virus that at this point in time is known to only afflict uh, mutants, and uh, it is potentially fatal. Um, I think at this point, Ileana Rasputin, as a child, yeah. has died due to the legacy virus. I think Mastermind has probably succumbed to the virus at this point. Oh, yeah, and, the bell. yeah. Yeah, and Pyro is uh, is also in in the crosshairs of this deadly virus. But it's like it's it's doing all this weird stuff now, where it's it's not just because he doesn't. It's not like making him sick. It's like making him lose his mind and be super powered. Right. Um, so I which wasn't. Is new. It was because was like Cerebro doing stuff with that, or was it just the legacy virus? Because I, I was, it felt like there was some entity that was, and I can honestly, I read these comics two hours ago, and I, <laughs> I forgot a lot of stuff because, <laughs> wow, those were, there was a lot of stuff going on. So I vaguely remember Cere- Cerebro was kind of controlling, or like making him act up weirdly. Yeah. So the reveal, kind of as the as the crossover progresses is Cerebro, which is the technology Professor X and and maybe friends, I don't think we know that at this point, have created um, to track mutants, to find all the mutants on Earth, right? This is popularly used in basically all, you know, animated series, the movies, and of course here in the comics, um, that Cerebro has gained sentience of a sort. Yeah. Uh, this is a popular idea. Like, this idea alone has legs. And so does Cerebro yeah. now. <laughs> because it's a sentient, <laughs> a sentient robot, but like this idea keeps coming up, and I this is to my knowledge the first time it really happens and is really dug into in a way. Um, yeah. but you kind of get these variant cerebros, and they're they're robots yeah. that are hell bent on fulfilling Professor X's mission of humans and mutants getting along. But to do that, they're like, we need to put all of the humans in eggs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is it is less focused on the idea of AI gaining sentience, which will like which will be played a lot in X Men comics, and more with the like the dark reflection of Xavier's dream, which is like something that happens a lot, even since the sixties, I think. Well, yeah. wasn't that in the sixties that there was like evil Xavier stalking his students, uh, and everyone thought he just went crazy, and it's just like his evil side that he keeps at bay in his own mind. Right, very sexy stuff. Yeah, um, there's a, there's a strong legacy of evil, Charlies. <laughs> yeah, but this plays more as like Cerebro incarnating the dark ref- one ver- dark version of uh, Xavier's dream, like forcing humans and mutants to not fight each other by just cataloging cataloging them collector style and just yeah stripping all agency and being from them. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, they're not very exciting uh, interpretations yeah. of what robotic cerebros could be, definitely. Um, I think the comic really, once it has that idea and it's presented, it's kind of like, and now we're just going to do superhero action stuff because we have yeah. nothing else. <laughs> Which <laughs> like, is that was disappointing because that I feel like there's an interesting story there of like Xavier's dreams taking its like becoming its own beast and like yeah. going further than he would have wanted without himself keeping it at bay and like losing control of what he wanted because he's like he's the only one it's his dream he's the one in control and so as soon as he's not there what's what happens to that but it's in the end it's literally just one supervillain plan of killing everyone basically which is which is disappointing like there could have been something there um, right yeah i think i do think of this as the decade of xavier's dream like the 90s if anything yeah. the theme throughout the comics, the X-Men comics, is the decade of Professor X's dream. Um, it's very, very on the surface with X-Men number one through three with Claremont and Jim Lee. And the rest of the decade really goes on to challenge that. I mean, Onslaught, for all of its messiness and convolutedness, is is interrogating that pretty strenuously, looking at, like, okay, with Professor X and Magneto, like, what happens if, you know, he gives into his worst impulses and pursues the dream in the most dangerous ways? Um, I mean, just this conversation is recycled time and time again in terms of what is the, what are the right ways to try to achieve equality? What are the right ways to try to achieve even just basic mutant rights and these sorts of things? Um, yeah. I don't think 
I think that question is still interesting, um, but you need new perspectives and adapted learnings to answer it uh, efficiently yes. and and yeah. in- interestingly. Um, you know, and that's one thing definitely that this era I think is missing is a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times it's just like, well, marginalized voices, like, you know, communities that are actually dealing with this in the real world. What kind of answers have they come to? You don't get a ton of that in X-Men comics, yeah. but you do get the, the question coming up over and over and over. There's a lot of Marrow who's who's a Morlock and who has like a very visible mutation, which like she has kind of bony horns sticking out of her forehead, stuff yeah. like that. And like it's very visible that she's a mutant. And she's like she's complaining about how the Morlocks are treated, stuff like that, to Kitty Pride. And Kitty's like, well, I might not have a visible mutation, but I'm still a mutant. I, I still face disc- discrimination too. And like, there's a lot of that of like yeah. weird relativism of like not hearing someone complaining. Like, oh, that's always worse than you. Like you should. It's very, nobody, very... nobody loves relativism like Kate. Yeah. Pride. Let me tell oh, you. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely not the worst example of, uh, of it. Hi, nope. Chris Clement. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird thinking back of like, how much the 90s for X-Men are the decade of Professor X as the main character of the X-Men? Because, yeah. like, if you were to ask someone who has outside knowledge of X-Men, like, at what time do you think Professor X was, like, the most important thing of X-Men and cl- acclaimed as, like, the savior, the the hero of the X-Men? You'd guess, like, oh, that was, at first, like, the 60s. And that's not the case. That's a very 90s thing, looking back. It's not modern. It's not... Or, at the origins in the 60s, it's very 90s, which is an interesting, and like you said, I think it's also a consequence of focusing on, on what the dream means and the the right or wrong way of fighting for a cause like uh, Mutandam. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting looking back, uh, seeing at what time that was the case of having Professor X as the main character of, uh, of X-Men. Right, right. I do think it's like, it's these comics, it's this decade, it's the animated series, and yeah. then it's Sir Patrick Stewart in the movies that stretch solidifies saint charles xavier right it solidifies he is the core and the leader and one of the best people whereas every other piece of (laughs) (laughs) piece of continuity and context tells you otherwise right yeah it tells Um, you that professor x is a jerk exactly exactly (laughs) you know i do love you mentioned marrow so as the x-men are like we have to find professor x marrow has never met professor x like she comes to the team post onslaught and i found her delightfully funny throughout this as they're hunting just constantly being like this guy kind of sounds like he sucks <laughs> like, why are we <laughs> why are we wasting our time and she's telling this to you know kitty pride wolverine gambit storm all people who are you know under his thrall right they all came to the x-men and they know professor x to a degree and have a good relationship but Meryl just constantly being like why are we wasting our time on this guy was was yeah. very funny I, enjoyed I thought that the most interesting one to me was like everyone's giving the so like oh he's like we owe everything to him we wouldn't be here without him he saved us but then gambit is like i mean yeah i'm a bit weirded out by everyone glorifying him as well but like he yeah. gave me a shot like he saved my life a few times i i I'll do the same the same thing for him. Like that's just basic. That's what we do. Like that's that makes more sense to me. That's like that was the the moment where I was like, yeah, okay, I can get that version of it. <laughs> right, right. I, yeah, there was at least some some questioning of it yeah. with Gambit. You know, I guess we should. It's not super relevant, but just for the continuity heads who, if you want to know what's going on, this that we recently skipped over as well an issue called the Trial of Gambit. I think it's Uncanny three fifty if I'm not mistaken, and that one, I think that's where it reveals that Gambit kind of helped the Marauders with the Mutant Massacre. Like, he wasn't yeah, there I think she, doing they say it, that but, like, he, he set it up. he assembled them for Mr. Sinister or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is uh, pretty relevant in terms of his connections to Sinister and the Marauders yeah. and also just the, the team's general trust of him at this point in time i'd never heard of that about gambit before reading these and now i'm learning that gambit participated in basically mutant genocide which is interesting it is it is it's a <laughs> wild wrinkle to throw into yep. his mysterious background um yeah it doesn't come up a lot <laughs> yeah that's really <laughs> like you think it would get brought up more often um yeah. so anyway yeah i don't i yeah, so these issues, Uncanny X-Men at this point in time, it's being written by Steve Siegel. We got pencils by Chris Bacciallo, inks by R. Tibbert, colors by Liquid. Um, and then on the X-Men side, you've got 
got it right in front of me. You've got um, oh, I don't have the credits in front of me, but it, it's is it Joe Casey yet? I can't remember. It's gonna be it's gonna be Joe uh, Casey can, soon. Yeah, or Joe Kelly. Be, yeah. Joe Kelly. There's there's two Joes. Yep. Inside one, all of one of those two. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just it's down years. Uh, but the hunt for Xavier. It's like unsurprisingly they find Xavier. Um, he has been training a new brotherhood of evil mutants or former brotherhood yeah, of which evil is mutants. the most impo- interesting part of this to me it is it, it definitely yeah. is so he's got blob toad uh post who is like an onslaught era creation and who's the other one there's another one uh M- mimic i think is his oh name. mimic yeah. yeah mimic he's got them uh basically defending him and and working with them i there's a small but but significant moment of being like heroes and villains working together for the cause of mut- you know which I always like I think God loves man kills is probably the best earliest example of like yeah. a mutant alliance to fight a cause that is more threatening you know to all of mutants where Magneto gets with the team and essentially you know they work together um, this is a very very small not as good version of that but, no, but bringing those characters in is a lot of fun and it's it's interesting how they like they're behaving about it like the brotherhood is very much behaving like early x-men and like saying the professor kind of saved them and following his order as his orders like he knows he's our professor too now like that's that's interesting like they're not allying themselves with the x i mean their alliance with the x-men is kind of like oh i guess we have to do this but their work with the professor is kind of like oh no we we have to do this he knows that's that's very interesting. Like I don't think that's something we've ever seen the Brotherhood having that kind of respect for Professor Xavier. Right, right. And I do like that that thread. Yeah. I like the idea of you know because we we see a lot that the X Men have some respect for Magneto. You know, yeah. despite being a supervillain, sort of in terms of understanding what he's about and kind of res- you know at times you know you see a character like Colossus in the in the mid nineties being like, yeah, I'm actually going to go on Asteroid M with him. Like that's how much respect I have for what yeah. he's doing here. Um, you don't see the flip side of that too often, and I do think yeah. it is it is just as interesting. That's something that definitely is going to get played with moving forward in in more interesting ways. Um, and I and I also really like the like the Brotherhood kind of behaving as some of the family. Like Blob uh, in the p- page where like you have a big splash page of all the Brotherhood getting introduced, and you have the Blob uh, describing every one of them, introducing <laughs> them as yeah. they're about to attack the X Men. And like the way he describes Toad is like this is Toad. He can kind of just jump high but he's like he's with us i'm protecting him and like i re- i kind of like it's kind of cute but i also really like that them the brotherhood being a team of bad guys but who also like work as a family which is not what we often see usually they're more they're bickering amongst themselves all the time and it feels like they all hate each other which is right which is i i understand why but it's after why it feels boring kind of like yeah. why after what, it's been 30 years at this point of comics? Like, it feels like they should like each other if they're going to stay together that much at this point. Right, right. No, I think it feels pretty old-fashioned. I mean, I think if this comic is written 10, certainly 20 years later, like, we could instead just get an issue of, like, the Brotherhood are the central characters. Yeah. It treats them like they're the X-Men, essentially, and just a whole issue of them being Professor X's team. Yeah. And just kind of like that twist of like, oh, like what's going on here? Like we've got a new X-Men squad. Oh, wait, it's Brotherhood characters. Like I think you could actually just fully lean into it. Um, yeah. Whereas this just does it for a few pages before, you know, the regular team comes in. And they fight for a second and then ultimately team up against the Cerebros. The the big outcome of Hunt for Xavier is uh, he gets his powers back. Like that is the ultimate final outcome is he gets his telepathy back and then is reunited with the team to set up basically rolling right into the Magneto War. Yeah. So the Magneto War starts in X-Men number 85, and uh, it is a continuation of, uh, it is the Joe Kelly run on the title. Joe Kelly, uh, we have read as the author of Deadpool, which everyone really loved. I, I still haven't heard any negative <laughs> feedback <laughs> about yep. 90s Deadpool. I um, definitely love that. <laughs> <laughs> very, it's very clear. Very clear of the fandom. But uh, but yeah, so this is Joe Kelly writing, and it's a transition here from the art being done by Adam Kubert, who I actually think is pretty great on those X-Men issues, despite not liking him a lot. 
Um, yeah. And we switch into Alan Davis with inks by Mark Farmer, who is often inking Davis. Davis, of course, uh, well-known for Excalibur runs, both writer and artist, working with Chris Claremont, and also was going to go on to write and draw a whole bunch of X-Men um, after this point. Uh, so you got Davis and Farmer doing this, and uh, and Kelly, it gets weird, but the, the first issue is X-Men 85. On the eve of the Magneto War, it is a back-and-forth um, between Magneto presenting as human going to a construction site trying to have one last conversation with a human to convince himself not to set the world on fire essentially yep like basically he's like (laughs) i'm gonna have a conversation with one guy and if this guy you know is is as great as charlie says humans are i won't i won't destroy all of humanity but if he shows which like you you've already decided like (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) yeah and like I, i find i like I like this issue a lot, actually. Yeah. I think Magneto's conversation with this guy is actually pretty interesting. Um, definitely the knock on it is Magneto is asking the most leading questions. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, is the knock of it, but it's all, it's also, it also kind of makes sense for Magneto. Like, at least Magneto at this point, who's still, like, very much uh, post-bad guy era, post-X-Men uh, uh, 1-2-3. Right. Well, and we don't even... Like, at this point in X-Men continuity, and it gets answered in the Magneto War, but, like, we don't even totally know how Magneto's walking around, you know? Because, oh, right, so like, yeah. in Fatal Attractions, Professor X kills him, right? To uh, And that sets up Onslaught, but that also sets up the mystery of Joseph. And Joseph, again, is this guy walking around with the flowing white locks. He's a slightly younger version of what is clearly Magneto, but it's like he doesn't have... He's not Magneto. Like, he doesn't totally have his memories. Um, it feels like an obvious clone situation, but we don't have confirmation of that or anything. Uh, so it's like when we see Magneto walking around and we have an event called Magneto War, it's like, well, is, is Magneto even in <laughs> continuity at this point? Like, what's <laughs> happening here? Um, so there is, I suppose, continuity-wise, some mystery to that, even though it always feels like a pretty foregone conclusion that, like, you know, one of the top three villains in Marvel history is going to come back. <laughs> like, that's usually yep. not in doubt. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, I mean, I just, I, I do find this conversation, it's it's interesting, but it's also, I think, at times very funny where Magneto's like, you know, yeah, what if what if one of the guys you work with is a mutant? And the guy's like, oh, you know, as long as he's doing the job, wouldn't be a problem. And then he's like, yeah, but what if he slept with your wife? <laughs> the guy's like, whoa, leave my family out of this. And like, he just like, he, he ramps it up very fast and very pointedly. Um, there's a moment where, and I, I joked about this at the front, but like he asked the guy, like, you know, like basically, like, would you kill a mutant if you thought it could save lives? And the guy's like, oh, I don't know about that. And he's like, okay, like, you know. And the and the guy makes the argument. He's like, I don't know if I would, you know, kill baby Hitler. And like, he has, I'm paraphrasing badly, but it's something to that effect. He's like, oh, I don't know if I could kill a baby. And I mean, he's like, I, it's more I, the thing that's interesting is that he kind of stops the conversation. He's like, what? What the hell kind of questions are you asking me? Like, yeah, yeah. those are like way too personal and don't make sense. Like. It's it's like if I were asking you, would you kill baby Hitler? Like, see, not that easy. Magnus is like, it is easy. <laughs> I would. <laughs> I would destroy <laughs> thousands of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Magneto, Magneto, like, erupts on him. And he's like, yeah. that, that would be the easiest decision of my life. I would do it. And yeah. he blows up. Um, which is very understandable, obviously, given Magneto's background. Um, but it is also this guy increasingly is having this moment of like, who is this stranger and what are all these leading questions getting to? Because <laughs> they're getting increasingly weird and hostile yep. and violent. Um, by the end of it, Magneto, you know, shows his powers and shows he's Magneto. The guy is scared and kind of starts. To, and the guy is like, they're trying to paint this construction worker as sort of salt of the earth, blue collar, like, you know, like, <sighs> I don't know. I don't want to go too, too deep on the guy's politics necessarily because we don't get enough here, but definitely like somebody who is just like not a mutant phobe, but at the same time doesn't know or associate with any mutants. You know, I guess maybe it would be the yeah, he's like, way. I know. He's like, I mean, I don't care. He's like, I'm, I'm, I would like if I said I wasn't afraid about the idea of mutants, but I'm, I'm not gonna like participate in mutant terrorism or like. Anti-mutant uh, hate or like revealing if one of my workers is a mutant stuff like that. Yeah. So it feels like yeah he's very like not aware of stuff that's going on of how mutants work stuff like that. Just I'm minding my own business and I won't like participate in whatever hateful thing you want me to to be. Right. Exactly. And then when he sees Magneto, you know, and Ma- Magneto has a reputation in the Marvel universe, right? Like if you're a person who sees 
noted <laughs> mutant terrorist Magneto, like that's yeah. going to have an impact. The guy acts scared, and the Magneto's like, "What? I thought you weren't afraid of mutants." And it's like, "All right, Eric, like <laughs> this isn't exactly the fairest." And it's it's that thing you the point you made earlier of like he made up his mind a long time ago. Yeah, like he was waiting for that guy to slip up. Like exactly. definitely, exactly. Um, but nonetheless, it's a. It's a pretty well done issue. Uh, I definitely find it very interesting, and it's a nice setup for what the Magneto War is going to be. Um, it's not a heck of a war. It's actually kind of a precursor to like the Ultimate Universe Ultimatum. Don't leave. Like it's not that close to Ultimatum. <laughs> I promise. Jeff Loeb isn't here. We promise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like just the ways he Magneto was controlling the Earth's magnetosphere. <laughs> I mean, it is you know? it is that proto version of Ultimatum in that it's a more more modern version of what he would be doing in the sixties, which is trying to nuke the Earth, like use some American or Soviet nukes to redirect them to the White House, stuff like that. And that's kind of a more modern version of that. Yeah, yeah. It sets up, um, you know, what is his ultimatum, which is like, yeah, I'm going to destroy a bunch of stuff unless you give me what I want. What he wants here, as it turns out, what I really, out, really want. <laughs> what you, it's nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, no, you're you're on you're on uh you know you're on the right chronology here. Um, <laughs> what he really wants is his own island. Uh, he wants uh he wants a nation for mutants, and specifically he wants Genosha. Um, Genosha, the longtime most anti mutant nation yeah. in the world. Uh, this um very deliberate metaphor for South African apartheid. Uh, basically, he wants to take that over and make it a mutant, you know, totally mutant nation, essentially. And by the end of this, he gets that. He actually gets approval. And that is the coolest thing about this whole event. <laughs> is yeah. It sets up what is, at the time, like a totally new and frankly fascinating dynamic, which is, okay, Magneto gets to be the ruler of a nation. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I didn't I realize that was like the first... The first mutant nation in comics, because to me that, that feels like, oh yeah, that's something that that's happened a lot of times in X Men comics, but not to this point. Like, kind of with like his, oh, is it in the animated series specifically that his space station in X Men One Two Three is like meant as kind of a mutant nation, but yes. that might be more in the animated series than in the in the comics. Yeah, no, it's it, it's in the comics too. Like in the in the yeah. lead up to Fatal Attractions, like Asteroid M, Avalon, like that is. That is a safe mutant haven. So, like, he's done that before, for sure. Yeah. Um, but that was him floating around a mutant paradise on a meteor. Yeah, it's not him know? being, like, working with the UN and being a world leader. Yeah, 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 right. Definitely very different dynamics. Um, you know, this puts him on on a platform with Dr. Doom, Namor, yeah, T'Challa. Which is, cool, which is very cool. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, it's it's a, a level we haven't really thought about Magneto before. You know, like actually being on the political stage. Uh, he's always yeah. just been a rogue agent labeled a terrorist because he's not like Dr. Doom can do stuff, but he's a head of state. It has different weight, you know, because if you label Doom a terrorist for doing terrible things, you're also like going to war with Latveria and Dr. Doom. Magneto now gets himself on that level. Um, Wolverine is the only one who, when this happens, like loses his mind, <laughs> like like Wolverine, yeah. which, you know, is, is classic Wolverine, but like, it's also like. If you're one of the X-Men and you know Magneto and you've seen what he's doing and they're all like, yeah, we'll give you a country. <laughs> we'll give you yeah, and we'll give you UN status. Like, that's kind of wild. Plus, in, during the 90s, like, Wolverine is always, like, one step from being full berserker mode at the adult point. Like, since well, what, the time where Magneto took all of his dimension from, from him, which I that's can't remember when that one. Yeah. yeah. And, like, he's... Because I thought he still had the bony clo clothes in... Uh, hunt for Xavier, but then I feel like later he's just drawn with the dimension clothes. So maybe just like one time there was a, a mistake in the art, and I wasn't sure. I, I'll be honest, I don't know when that yeah. shift reoccurs, and I've never been invested enough to explore it. <laughs> it does seem like it happens around here. <laughs> yeah, or maybe the art is just forgot. Which fair enough. <laughs> that happens too. That'll happen too. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I don't. There's. I don't know that there's a heck of a lot in the middle of this that I felt the need to dig into, but I really yeah. like the big picture ramifications. Yeah. So I have a quick few questions about like specifics in, in the story. So first of all, like Joseph has been around for a few years at this point. Oh yeah. yeah. Now it's cleared up that he's a clone of Magneto. 
like meant I still don't know what he's meant to do exactly, but he's a clone of Magneto. And he was created by Astra, something like that, who was secretly a f- one of the first members of the Brotherhood who like quits before we met them. Th- does she stick around? Because I've never heard of that character. So this is this is her debut. Um, okay, yeah. This is this is the first I think we've ever seen of Astra in Marvel Comics. Uh yeah, so that I guess that's the other probably primary subplot um is it's revealed that the secret origin of Joseph <laughs> was I always love a phrase trying to explain X-Men comics that starts with it's revealed that and then a long pause. <laughs> <laughs> right, cuz it gets wild. So it's yep. revealed that during the fall of Avalon Colossus sent a pod down to Earth with the body of what appeared to be Magneto and was then revealed to be Joseph. Okay? This okay. different... So the implication... I'm so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, the implication was, like, oh, like, it was a clone of Magneto that they were storing on Avalon, and that's what Colossus saved, and that's who we know is Joseph. Right? Like, that's yeah. kind of what it seems like. What Astro reveals is that, actually, it was the real Magneto who walked out of that pod, apparently, she, like, knocked him unconscious or whatever and then cloned Joseph. So Joseph is a clone of Magneto, but he was created by Astra after landing on Earth as opposed to Magneto prepping a clone of himself on Avalon. Why this distinction matters (laughs) is... I don't know. Like, I have no yep. idea. But it is I mean, a it much to do. It feels like there was a, like, clone saga style. We didn't decide who Joseph was at first, and we uh-huh. had to backpedal and make a decision, and it doesn't make sense, but we have to, to explain it somehow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, so Astra's deal, kind of like you said, like, she she claims to have been part of the original Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Um, she hates Magneto for emotionally and maybe physically like abusing her but she also like clearly kind of she really wanted to love him and had feelings for him but then he was yeah, she, a jerk she kind of has like some weird harley quinn vibes like in that she's very yeah. creepy and hung up on like her relationship with magneto which is weird like that's not what i was expecting from that character when like when she's first introduced uh like yeah kind of weird Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so she she reveals all of this and like she wants to like I, I guess her ultimate plan is like she she used Joseph to try to um to like control him to defeat Magneto, essentially. So like yeah, I made okay. this clone of you to ultimately defeat you, and that will be my ultimate revenge. Um Joseph, not surprisingly, breaks free of her control and makes it like he does kind of beat Magneto. At his yeah. own game, but then Joseph is like not like he is. He kind of ultimately it's that thing of like, oh, I was with the X Men and now I'm kind of feeling heroic, and he kind of saves the day, <laughs> more or less, <laughs> like like that. And then, but then he gets old and uh, and goes away. So really, net net, like it's a yeah, it's a clone saga way of being like, hey, can we get Joseph out of the picture so we can get real Magneto back? And that's that's kind of yep. what this does. <laughs> Well, I mean, I feel like maybe the more, most accurate comparison is Madeline Pryor and Jean Grey. Like, oh, we want to bring Jean Grey back. But we've had this weird Jean Grey clone that's been hanging around and replacing her. What do we do with, what do we do with her? And uh-huh. response, is, response is, I don't know, just get her out of here as quick as you can. <laughs> there is, I mean, there. Marvel never knows what to do with clones once they've created them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. There is actually, so the end of this year is going to have this dark web crossover. Uh, which is um, an X-Men Spider-Man crossover, and it involves Madeline Pryor and Ben Riley. Yeah. Great opportunity for Astra and Joseph Ooh, to, to come into the Paul game. <laughs> uh, because they're, they're definitely Astra has been very quiet in Marvel continuity. I'm not spoiling anything to say that. Um, technically, she has been seen in the Krakoa era. Uh, I think like maybe once or twice, but um, but not a heck of a lot. And then Joseph, I don't think we've seen Joseph since the Matt Rosenberg era uncanny X-Men before house and powers. So, yeah. you know, which I don't know that we would because Magneto probably doesn't want a clone of himself walking around. <laughs> and like, like he's the, without spoiling anything, the, the clone stuff on Krakoa is weird. It's complicated. <laughs> like there, it's there's complicated. some stuff going on there. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, so that's that's Astra's deal as far as I know it. Um, and that kind of again, it basically just leads to the setup of like, all right, Joseph, we had fun. Um, <laughs> let's <laughs> let's get real Magneto back in the picture. Which I gotta say, yeah, I mean that's the right call. Um, it, it is funny. It's like so much of this is you know when you look at the net net aside from the Genosha stuff, which I think is actually pretty interesting and actually new and sets up new stories you can tell. So much of the net of this is, okay, Magneto's back on the scene, no more clone Joseph, and Professor X is back with the X-Men and has his powers back. But it's like, well, that's that's where we were before you started this mess. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just resetting yep. the table um, and using a lot of comics to do so. Yeah, I mean, these, I think Magneto War is actually, if you're going to read one of these, read Magneto War, um, or at least skip around it. Yeah. There's some good stuff within there. Uh, but it is like... Oof, like X X Men needs a, a kick in the pants, and it's gonna get it. Uh, it's not we're not too far away, but it needs it needs a reset. Yeah, I was just thinking it's interesting that the the way they got around uh, getting rid of the young hot Magneto was making him real old, so that now OG Magneto is now the young hot Magneto. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which uh, it's always weird to to know what age Magneto is because here he's like proposing to Rogue basically. Uh, oh, is that in her dream? I can't remember. But like, there's a scene Rogue. where a Magneto proposes to a Rogue, and it always feels like to me Rogue is like twenty and Magneto is sixty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rogue uh, is developing feelings for Joseph, you know, because we've, oh, we've yeah. seen the the Rogue Magneto romance, you know, a little bit, like in the Savage Land stuff with Jim Lee. Um, but she, now she's falling for Joseph, and I think, yeah, I think she's dreaming of him proposing. Um, yeah, okay. but I, I guess that gets undone <laughs> yeah. when Joseph turns old. <laughs> yep. <laughs> As will happen. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Anything else stand out to you from these? Yeah, no, not really. Like I said, like I read those two hours ago and they went inside my mind and out very quickly, which is yeah. disappointing because I, I like X-Men. I don't want that uh, for my X-Men comics. Like, yeah, I think the the two issues we said we like the most are the one that stick to my mind the most, which is the, the pyro issue and the, the um, like, Magneto asking questions to a weird uh, random construction, which I feel like modern version of that would be, like, the full issue is that conversation, which maybe would have been made for a more interesting start to, to the events. Like, maybe Magneto going back and forth, like, having a real dilemma as to whether he's going to go, right. like, do what he wants to do. Um, but, yeah, it's... I don't, I don't know that any of these comics are particularly bad. They're just, like, kind of boring and retreading old grounds for the most part. And, like, yeah, like you said, X-Men needs a, needs a kick in the pants, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it would be... Honestly, a lot of the stuff coming out around this era would be more fun to talk about if it was bad like because that would mean it was taking <laughs> yeah. more swings you know yeah like if it was taking more chances uh and it it doesn't feel like a lot of this stuff is uh so next year 2000 we're gonna get uh, uh 2000 uh, yeah 2000 gonna be big time <laughs> um but we're gonna do apocalypse the 12 which is uh another crossover between like everything in the x-men universe that is kind of significant yeah, um, the <laughs> the only reason I know Apocalypse Twelve is like back a year ago there was a, um, a tweet asking people like what X Men comics came out the month of your birth and for me it was uh, Apocalypse the Twelve. Okay, okay, so this is your your birth X Men comic, perfect. Yep. And then the year after that, two thousand one, we'll we'll start a new X Men, which is when yes. things start to get really really interesting and really really good. Um, yeah. so so don't worry, X Men fans, there's going to be a there's going to be some exciting stuff coming. Um, and again, the outcome of Magneto War, you know, it sets the stage for like some interesting Black Panther comics. Like Magneto's at the UN now. <laughs> like when you're dealing with heads of states, you know, it's T'Challa dealing with Dr. Doom and Magneto. Like I do like yeah. that angle uh, for uh, for what it's worth. Okay, we did it. We did two big mediocre <laughs> X-Men crossovers. <laughs> these, are, You know, it is kind of, it's funny reading these because I'm like, you know, I'm kind of when anytime I'm reading an X Men thing, I'm like, oh, maybe I could like do a video about this or like write something. You know, find a kernel that I could really sink into. With both of these, it's like, eh, not really, not really. Like I, I did do a thing. More about... mentioned once. I'm sure you could do something with it. <laughs> does. I, you know, I did look at that. Moira sends yep. <laughs> a giant box of Cerebro technology oh, yeah, to right. Doctor <laughs> Cecilia Reyes, and that got the wheels turning. 
I've got the wheels turning for sure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what comes of it. All right, cool. So, yeah, we'll be back next time with uh, Earth X. We're going to read all 12 issues of the, I think it's Jim Kruger and Alex Ross, out of continuity, fascinating Earth X. Have you, re- have you read Earth X before, Charlotte? I've skimmed through it, I think. Like, I, I can definitely picture in my mind some pages from it, but I, I can barely remember what it's about. I'm very curious what you're both going to think okay. about EarthX. I my main remembrance of this was it being incredibly ahead of its time. Okay, so I'm, I mean, we haven't had I was going to say a lot, but any I think uh, like books that are entirely in another universe without right. it being like characters from the main universe going there. Like like the only thing I can the only one I can think of is like Squadron Supreme, maybe. Oh, that's a good question. Um. Just straight up out of continuity. Yeah, because like we are still far from the age of like Marvel zombies and Marvel apes and Marvel sixteen oh two. Yeah, it's gonna happen a lot more. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think you're right because you know the AOA is you know technically oh, yeah. inter- interconnected. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting point. I mean, I think that's it's funny because it's like I'm very into that, and I do think of the '90s as being kind of into alternate realities and stuff yet yeah. there actually aren't that many stories that dive into that um but yeah the earth x it, it's it, it's it goes on to be a trilogy there's like earth x and paradise x and universe x i kind of doubt we'll read the rest of this but uh but we'll see how into it the two of you are um yourself yeah. and zach and then we'll we'll make a decision from there but that'll be next time. All right, you can find all the issues that we're reading and going to be reading in the show notes. Uh, you can also back us over at patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. For as little as $1 a month, you can access to the full spreadsheet for all of the comics that we're going to be reading. That is updated regularly to account for what is new and exciting and available via Marvel Unlimited. I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at Comic Book Herald. Uh, Charlotte runs the My Marvelous Year Twitter and Instagram over at at My Marvelous Year. You can find stuff from us there. And... Music for the show is by Disaster Piece. So thank you to Disaster Piece for all that music. We'll be back next week. Charlotte, anything else people need to know? Um, I mean, feel free to go check out our Patreon. Like, our second show, My Ultimate Year, is, like, getting close to the end. The last episode might be out by the time this airs. And we're, like, soon, we'll soon be launching our new show, Extra Issues, which you, you might have heard about by now. Um, yeah, we're, we're really excited about it. The first topic we're going to cover is Watchmen, and that should be uh, on the Patreon in the next few weeks. So, like, look out for that. I'm, a, I'm very excited for extra issues, and I'm especially excited for Zach to give Watchmen, like, a 6 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait for my favorite yep. comic of all time to be put through the ringer. Uh, yeah, no, extra issues should be cool. I'm definitely, I'm hoping to join the both of you for the Miracle Man conversation. I want to do yeah. a Miracle Man deep dive since uh, since coming back to Marvel. Going to have some new yep, Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham Miracle Man continuation via Marvel Comics and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm intrigued to go back and dive into Miracle Man. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And as always, we'll see you next year. See you next year.